Welcome to Everybody Hates Me, Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. She's a Canada Research Chair in Global Health Equity and Social Justice with Marginalized Populations and an Associate Professor at the University of Toronto's Factor in Wintosh Faculty of Social Work. Every week, the show features amazing speakers from around the world talking about stigma from research, lived experiences, and activism perspectives. Why should we care about stigma? What can we do about it? Thank you for tuning in. Let's start the show. Today, listeners, I am so thrilled and excited to introduce our guest, Dr. Angela Mashford Pringle. She is an assistant professor and associate director of the Wakwanis Bryce Institute for Indigenous Health at Dalana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. She has worked for over a decade at the federal government in Indigenous initiatives. She has so many things that she's doing. She directs the Master of Public Health Indigenous Health Program. She's a director of the Collaborative Specialization of Indigenous Health and founding editor of the Turtle Island Journal on Indigenous Health. She works with Indigenous communities in urban and rural settings with issues related to Indigenous health, including cultural safety and culture, language, land-based learning, climate action, and policy analysis and development. Thank you so much for coming today, Dr. Mashford Pringle. How are you? Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. It's wonderful, beautiful morning. (laughs) So I just listed about 100 things that you're doing. I don't even know how you're doing all of them at the same time. (laughs) So if I was to bump into you in an elevator, and I didn't know you, and I said, oh, tell me about what you do. What is your elevator speech? (laughs) Um, (laughs) A couple (laughs) floors were going up. Well, usually my elevator pitch is based on the project that I'm working on, but basically I'll say things about, so I'm an assistant professor in Indigenous health, and I look at things that relate to culture, health, and education. And people will often ask me what that means, and I will tell them, well... I have these projects where I'm I'm looking at things like cultural safety. So they'll say, well, what is that? And it and I explain that, you know, Indigenous cultural safety is all about trying to teach non-Indigenous people how to be able to work in the world with Indigenous people. And the project that I have underway has three foundational courses, and then everybody will get streamed into the profession specific. Oh. And so right now we're starting with three. So we're starting with nursing, education, K to 12 and post-secondary. And then we're doing social services, which would include social work. So they'll, they'll be our first three streams. That is so massive. You're doing all of that in addition to all of the things I just read out. That is, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I wanna, um, just in a little bit, I want to actually get into what you cover more deeply. So I think Definitely. if I was in the elevator with you, I'd be like, how are you doing all of that? That is a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the big thing is I have some great co-PIs with me. So Dr. Carrie Barassa, who's yes. the scientific director for uh, the Indigenous People's Health. Can we can we shout out for a potential future guest spot, Dr. Carrie Barassa? <laughs> we're shouting out. Can you come on this podcast in the future? Thank you. 
Uh, and Dr. Erica DiRuggerio, who is in the Office of Global Health with me. And Dr. Uh, Erica DiRuggerio, you're awesome. Also, <laughs> might have you for a future podcast spot. And Dr. Lisa Richardson from the Faculty of Medicine and Women's College Hospital. Oh, I don't know her. Okay, we'll check you oh. out. We'll okay. <laughs> Great. So, yeah, so we have that big project. So between, the, we're just actually finishing up a scoping review with my research team in the AMP lab. We had four students working on t- over 2,400 articles to pare it down to look at cultural safety because there's articles out there, but they're very much focused on medicine and nursing. There's almost none in social work and there's almost none in education. So listeners, for those of you who wonder what is a scoping review, it is when you go and you try to look at every single thing that's ever been written on a topic and you usually find thousands and thousands of things and you have to organize them and then summarize, (laughs) which is why four people doing that. Wow, I can't wait to read that and and to, to learn more. Before we get into our stigma questions, I want to ask you, I'm going to show up. I don't know where you are right now. Are you, are you in Toronto? Or are you outside of Toronto? Just outside of Toronto. I'm going to show up at your beautiful house with a time machine. <laughs> We're wearing masks, you know, we can physically distance in this time machine. And I'm going to say, can you take me back to the time and place where you started thinking about this issue about cultural safety about clearly what we're going to talk about more is what that, how that relates to stigma. But like, how did you start thinking, Oh, my passion and my energy is going to go, go into helping non-indigenous people work with indigenous people. Where would we go on that time machine? Where's a time and place where you thought this is what I need to do? Well, beside the fact that I'm in, I'm first nations, I would have to say Oka. So going back to 1990 and I think I was like 18 when Oka happened and I really, really wanted to get there to be part of the protests because I really didn't like what was going on and I wanted to stand in solidarity. And I thought, oh, you know, this shouldn't be happening. Mm -hmm. So I, I know your listeners probably don't know much about the Indian Act and status, but so in 1876, the Indian Act was created, and the Indian Act actually says if you're eligible to enroll as a an Indian or a First Nations person, Indian is not the correct term to use anymore, but mm-hmm. it's still there in the Act, its name. And so First Nations people would be enrolled or registered, and that means that they get treaty rights and others. I don't want to call them special privileges, but they're the privilege for giving up parts of our land. And when I say give up, we didn't actually give it up. Sometimes we were forced out of our our places. And that's how it all relates back to Oka in a second. But so in 1985, they made changes to try to get rid of some of the gender discrimination, which brought numbers up. And my mom, who her mother wasn't married when she was born. So Her mom was registered, but she couldn't be registered until the 1985 change. And then for me, right? Like, so I had to wait till Bill C-3 came in to be registered. So really- As a First Nations person. (laughs) Yeah. So there's an upside and a downside to that. So the upside is, yes, you're recognized officially by the government, but the downside is you're officially recognized by the government, meaning that they, under the Indian Act, they have a lot of influence about what you're allowed to do, where you can live, what you can get, and so on and so forth. So how does that relate to Oka? Well, Oka was about a piece of land at the Ontario-Quebec border in Canada that was going to be turned into a golf course. 
and the developers were trying to take over this land. It was, I believe it's not very big. It's like 20 acres. It's not a huge amount of land. The city of Oka is a small suburb, I would think, or, or somewhat like a suburb to Montreal. And when they were doing this, the Mohawks of the area were trying to push back. And so they set up barricades. And uh, if you look up Oka, you'll see like a whole huge history about this. So in July of 1990, the SQ, which is the Quebec police, came in and they were trying to push out the protesters. And amidst a scramble, a police officer was shot and killed. And so that brought the federal government in full guns blazing. And they sent the army in to try to push the Mohawks out of the way and to end the the crisis. It did last for, I think, 21 or 30 days. I'm not specifically remembering everything, but I just remember in that time frame wanting to be there to stand with everybody. And it ends with a lot of people getting arrested with Winique Horn-Miller getting stabbed by an army person. Uh, And then she goes on to become an Olympic athlete for Canada. But anyway, so that's a whole other story we could get into. But that started me thinking along the lines of why do people not like First Nations people? And so it started me on this journey of trying to not only look at education for First Nations people. So like my mom didn't finish high school. My grandma didn't. Some of my family members have gone to residential school. And I just kept thinking, well, okay, how do we get educated so that we know the Western way of being. Mm-hmm. And so it started me on this, this very long journey. Wow. And I want to, I want to, so I know the time where we are going back to Oka and I'm really glad you brought that up because it's, it feels like it was a while ago. And to think about how, either how far or how not far we've gone since then. <laughs> yeah. where, where were you at that time? Where were you, you were in? So I was still in Toronto. So I was okay. born and raised here. And, you know, the Toronto Indigenous community was pretty small at that point. We had, you know, like a few organizations, not as many as we have today. Uh, And the community was fairly widespread, but you knew, like if you lived in an area and I happened to live in South Etobicoke and uh, the Mimico area. And so I knew other First Nations people that lived there. So that was kind of nice because Mm -hmm. you didn't feel like you were alone in a very large city, like you had people. But I also found it tremendously difficult, still do, to get downtown to get services. And there's none in the suburbs. So all of the Indigenous services are pretty much in the downtown Mm -hmm. core. And so as a First Nations person, that meant that I had to, as a young person, I was, you know, having to travel if I wanted to get involved in ceremony or get to talk to elders. Now, when I was younger, I also went back home with my, my mom and my dad and we would go visit relatives. So a lot of nowadays you hear them say, oh, it's teaching. Well, it was never called that when I was growing up. It was just a way of life. So they would take you out and they would teach you things. They would never say, oh, we're going to give you a teaching. Um, <laughs> nobody yeah. would want that. They just want to actually be in it, right? Like, like <laughs> Just share it with me. You know? Yeah. And so they're like, you're out berry picking and they're teaching you about the significance of the berries, how to find them, um, where you're going to go, all of those things. So you said that you would, you said that that's a, that was a place outside of Toronto. Yes, yes. But you can do it here too. It's just people don't necessarily look at the little shrubs and bushes along hydro lines and such because that's not, it's not normal for them to do it. Like I happen to, I live in South Mississauga and I was out for a walk just 
two weeks ago and I found raspberry bushes. Yes, there's ones on the street beside <laughs> us. I was totally like taking them off the bush. I was like, I don't think these people are going to notice. <laughs> wild, I like wild raspberries. Yeah, exactly. And so, so these are things like you would learn stuff about them and when to harvest them and how to deal with them. But, you know, that's not something you get when you're living in a city generally speaking, but I, you know, you learn all of those things. So I was thinking about education. You have an education being with and on the land. And then there's the Western education that we seem to covet. Like everybody wants that. And so, you know, I went and I did my undergrad. I was, I was later in life going, I was in my twenties before I even started. So after Oka, that was kind of what drove me is I wanted to do something for first nations education. And the more I I got into education, I realized health was very much attached to education. Mm. And so the further I went, so I did my undergrad, I stopped, then I went to work for the federal government. I was working at Health Canada and I worked in Aboriginal Head Start and CAPC and CPMP. And so these are our social programs. Uh, CAPC is the Community Action Program for Children and CPMP is the Canada Prenatal Nutrition Program. So between the three programs, I was a program consultant, which meant I was the funder, right? So you're there trying to make sure that the projects are doing what they should be doing or, or what the guidelines say they should be doing. And uh, I was doing my best trying to reach out to community and I learned lots. I, I met many, many, many wonderful elders and I got to meet communities and they taught me so much when I was there beyond what I already knew. And so it started to make me think, well, how can I make change? So this was during why I was working there. And every time I would try to push for something very indigenous to happen within programs or policy, there was always this huge pushback. So this is in the 2000s, the early 2000s. And I felt like, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get my voice heard. I'm like one out of, at that point, there was like 70,000 or, or 79,000 public servants in Canada and I'm one voice, how do I actually wow. make change, right? Wow. So I then decided I was going to do a master's degree, and uh, I went to Boise, which is the Faculty of Education at U of T, and uh, while I was there, I had a wonderful mentor, and uh, here's another shout-out for you, Dr. John Paul Rastool. Oh, um, okay, <laughs> Dr. John Paul Rastool, who might be tapping on you for a podcast spot. <laughs> So he was my master's supervisor and uh, I did a research project looking at Aboriginal Head Start and the impacts it had. Now, I don't know if your listeners know, but a master's is only like uh, 18 months, so you don't have a lot of time. I Are was you also saying yours was a little ambitious for that yeah. Of time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had I had two small kids then. My daughters were five and seven at that point. And I was working full-time at the federal government and part-time for my master's. And I decided I wanted to look at the impacts of Head Start. Could you explain for the listener what is Head Start? So Aboriginal Head Start here in Canada is much like the Head Starts in the United States. It's supposed to be a place of early learning. So for zero to six-year-old children that are First Nations, Métis, or Inuit, or they somehow their family identifies them as Indigenous, and they're at risk, meaning that they have, the family is either uh, low income or they they've had problems with children's aid or they may have had incarcerations or something else that's going on in the family that puts them at risk that they 
they need that extra help, and it's also meant to give back culture. So one of the six guiding principles to Head Start is culture and language. And so that really, that is coming back around. I'll talk about that later, but... uh, So, uh, yeah, so I did this wonderful project and uh, Jean-Paul said, there's not a lot of Indigenous academics in Canada, so why don't you do your PhD? This was back in, I hate to say this, in 2007. And so I applied for my PhD and I was very fortunate to have Dr. Q. Young come and step up to be my PhD supervisor at Dalalana School of Public Health. Now I'm going to give you a little tidbit. Dalalana graduated their first Indigenous graduate in 2002, and that was Dr. Jeff Redding. Oh. And then the second one is me, and I don't graduate till 2013. Wow, that's that's amazing. <laughs> and I think that that's when I maybe I met you around that time in 2013 when you were mm-hmm. graduating. Yeah, amazing. And then, yes. and then you came back as a professor what year? In 2018, but I, okay. I was stuck around. So I finished the PhD. I was a, a lecturer for Indigenous Studies from 2012 to 2014. And then I did a postdoc fellowship with uh, Dr. Janet Smiley from 2015 to 2016. And then I was back at U of T in 2017, but not as a, an assistant professor. I was just there as a research associate. Uh, you, you've been, I, I call myself a long time U of T person because I did my, my undergrad back in 94 and then my PhD. Um, I think you might beat me. You, you, also, you have a lot of, we know a lot of the same buildings probably. I'm wondering if you could, if you could explain to the listeners this idea of cultural safety that you work on. Yeah. In my understanding, it's because of stigma and discrimination that and bias that non-Indigenous mm-hmm. people might have towards Indigenous people, cultures, languages, ways of living. And, and, and so there's a need for this kind of education and breaking down bias and stigma. And that is, am I right that that's sort of some of the genesis of cultural safety is because things have been violent and discriminatory and we need to re, reshift the way that we that we, I mean, we as in everybody holds value and dignity and worth for Indigenous people. Is, is that, am I getting the kind of roots yeah. of safety right? I'm not sure. Yeah. And so the big thing is being culturally unsafe is embedded in most people in North America because you grew up, I, I know we're on, you know, you can only hear us, you can't see it. But if you look up on YouTube and put in like, half-breed, you're going to come up with Bugs Bunny cartoons way back from the 70s that show Bugs Bunny going after Indians, quote unquote, and shooting them. And then he gets to one and he calls it a half-breed. So instead of marking them down one little, two little, three little, he gets to this one and erases half and says, oh, that was just a half-breed. So it's embedded. You see, it's embedded in what we've learned, like right from being in childhood, right? So it's not about 
I don't think people are necessarily going out there and trying to be discriminatory. It's because it's embedded in your in your thought process, right? Like if as a child, you're learning that it's okay, and actually it's encouraged and said to be okay to discriminate against any race or any people, then you're going to grow up to believe that it's still going to be embedded in your head. You're going to be like, well, I know that not only Bugs Bunny did that, but then Happy Days and there's other shows, like I'm just kind of off the top of my head. But when I teach this, this is part of the problem is it's embedded in all of our media, our films. And so when you get to the end of the day, you think, okay, well, it's okay if I I hurt or discriminate or do other things to Indigenous people. So let's just roll with it. And I think the problem being is there's at no time that we teach people that it's not okay. And even with the residential schools, most people don't realize the last one doesn't close till 1996, right? Most of them are done in 1980s, but one still opened till 96. It's still a threat. And that means in our lifetimes, for most of the people that are going to listen to this podcast, you were alive when the last one closed. This is not ancient history. And so, you know, that discrimination right there, just in that alone is huge. We had sterilization laws in Canada up until 1973, meaning that they could take a a First Nations woman and sterilize her without her consent. I remember reading that this was happening even recently in in Manitoba or some other Canadian province, like very recently. Yeah, in Saskatchewan in 2018, they've had cases of it. Uh, And we've had cases, uh, I don't know if everybody's heard, but during COVID, they found out that in B.C., in British Columbia, that there was a group of doctors and nurses at a hospital taking bets about how uh, much the blood alcohol level was of the Indigenous patients. Oh my goodness. So we clearly need to address this, I mean, centuries of discrimination and devaluing and violence that has been directed toward Indigenous people. And It was really interesting because I grew up, I'm not Indigenous, I grew up beside Saugeen First Nations in Port Elgin, and I remember in high high school, because they were saying there was a low graduation rate, and I didn't really understand why, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I'm I'm just going to high school, you know, I don't really know what's going on. They started a second school that sounds a lot like cultural safety that was it wasn't even on our school campus it was downtown in another building with art and music and it looked so cool I was like oh, <laughs> it was actually by where I lived and I would walk by and I'm like oh it looks like everyone's having so much fun there but it was for the young people from um Saugeen First Nations to go there they had an alternative it was like an alternative I guess it was an I didn't even know what an alternative school was probably until I went to <laughs> Toronto right but I was like oh this is a school for for First Nations because that does things a bit differently. And I yes. remember that that it, it seemed that people like going there. And I, I remember looking and being like, wow, there's music and there's art. <laughs> it looks really cool. <laughs> well, and and actually when you say that, so that was part of, you know, I'm I'm interested also in Indigenous health policy, which was what I was supposed to be doing for my PhD. Didn't go there, but anyway, the idea that the policies that are created or have been created do that discrimination for the government. So another project that I'm I'm hoping to get up and underway, I have a PhD student who's going to work with me, is looking at the University of Toronto and 
many others, had contracts with the federal government in order to provide healthcare services in First Nations in the remote and rural communities. With that being said, though, they did that to get rid of traditional healing. They sent in biomedicine as another form of colonization. No. Wow. So terrible. So we had residential schools, which was getting rid of the the English and making you Christianized. And then in the same time, you have Indian hospitals and uh, TB, uh, tuberculosis sanatoriums going on, uh, sterilization, and then add to that in the 60s, giving contracts so that we can force Western, they're saying they're doing it in benevolence, but if you look through the records, and that's part of what I've done is the archives, they weren't doing it for benevolent reasons. They were doing it to actually force out traditional healing. Yeah, I'm so <laughs> glad that you are doing this work for so many. I mean, I, I mean, I'm just I'm in awe of how many people you're impacting through your education courses, through your trainings. Is just really a huge impact. Could you describe for the listeners, because I think one thing that I try to do in in the Stigma podcast series is, is talk a little bit about how do we move forward in a better way. Maybe yes. you could describe for the listeners what is cultural safety, what it looks like. Boy, that definition's hard to come by. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, just like one definition, just like stigma has like a hundred definitions, or like just why, wh- wh- how you're yeah. approaching it, maybe. <laughs> yeah, because after 2,400 articles, I can tell you it's a little harder to describe than you think. <laughs> Cultural safety is really around creating safe environments, not just for, I know I'm talking about Indigenous cultural safety, but you have to remember if we're teaching people to open up and be more responsive, then they're going to be more responsive to other people. So black anti-black racism would also kind of get in here, any kind of isms that you want to think of, right? So the LGBTQ who face uh, racism or genderism or Mm-hmm. You know, people that face ageism, ableism, all of those things will mm-hmm. in some ways be touched because I'm, so what I teach is about three P's and, and everybody goes, what? Um, <laughs> so power, privilege, and positionality. So oh. you need to know your I power. I like that because because you can, you can remember three P's, like that's yeah. an easy thing. So, okay, so, so tell us more. So power being that everybody has power in our society. You have different powers in different places and that gets to your position. So, you know, I'm an assistant professor. I have powers and privilege inside of the academic institution. Um, I'm also a mom. So I have powers and privilege of teaching my children, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. people don't think of that as a power and a privilege, but you know what? You're instilling values into your children and to their friends because their friends come to your house or they hang out and they talk about something that you've talked about. We think they don't talk, but they really do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, your, your position in terms of, you know, you go to a grocery store, you ha- you're in a power position, right? You know, this, it, there's been a lot on the internet about Karens and Beckys and, you know, this wielding of power. That's really what it's about is you have the opportunity every time you're outside to show or use your power in a good way, your privilege in a good way, and your position in a good way. Whether you choose to do that is a whole different mm-hmm. ball game. You know, and, and, you, and I'm glad you just said something like before that. 
it struck me, which was when you go to the grocery store. I waitressed off and on for seven years. And it's interesting how sometimes I think we think of power as a big thing. Oh, Trudeau has power. This person has power. But we have power to treat the person driving the bus with respect, to treat the person serving us in a grocery store. Yes. It's really the the person serving us food, the person who cleans (laughs) the streets. Like, you you know, so it's really interesting just to even think in that, from that perspective of power that we all have it in some way at some point. For most Canadians, you have self determination, and and we can get in. That's a whole other discussion. We can get into. So, I mean, I would love to have you like on like multiple <laughs> podcats because there's no way to cover all your stuff today. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so if we think about you have self determination, the the piece with the power and self determination is you choose where you put your money. So mm-hmm. this is a big thing that people forget. Um, one day. Prime Minister Trudeau stood up and said, hey, we're going to do reconciliation work. And the very next day, he bought a pipeline. Mm. What what happened to Indigenous involvement? And we always talk about environmentalism, our stewardship to Mother Earth, and yet you're buying a pipeline. Like, how is that reconciliation work? And so when I think about people, individuals, your power is in how you purchase You know, there's a lot of power. I don't know if people on your podcast listing know that the Washington football team is changing its name and that the Edmonton football team is changing its name. You know why? Because lots of people started to say, hey, you know, sponsors, we're going to start pulling out of buying your things. Thank goodness. I have power. But it took till 2020. I mean, I'm glad it's (laughs) happening. But right, that we can stand up and um, make a difference. I think in this in this strange time of COVID and the protesting um, for racial um, indigenous justice, that we're seeing these things like changing the names of football teams. <laughs> like, you know, it sounds. Why crazy, is it that hard? Why is it so <laughs> difficult? I don't know. Are you that attached know. to a name? Like when people, many people change a name and they even get married. I'm like, why is it so hard to change a name? <laughs> They'll be offensive, you know? Yeah, I know. And so I know that there's more and more of the teams are starting to do that. You know, the fact that we finally got the federal government to use Indigenous Services Canada versus being Indian Affairs, like that's, these are huge issues, right? Like it doesn't seem like a lot, but the word Indian has so many negative connotations to it. And in 2020, we're not just First Nations people in Canada. There are people from India, and they really are Indians. So we have to be careful of terminology. Yeah. And then we, you know, the other discriminatory, and you're asking, so what can you do? The other discriminatory thing is not calling people by the labels that they choose to want. And that is in your power to change. Like every person has the privilege of making their own labels and they have the power in order to, you know, bestow labels based on what somebody's asked for. So a lot of what I see is either people want to turn a blind eye or they, they purposely use volatile language. And we don't have to do that anymore. It's 2020. Mm-hmm. Turn away, you know, from using the bad language and stand up for people that are getting bullied. Like, I often see on social media people being bullies about Indigenous issues, saying, well, Mm -hmm. you've gotten everything. You're given everything. First of all, we pay taxes just like every other Canadian, I'm sorry to tell you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't live in our communities, you have to pay land transfer tax and buy your house. And, you know, 
we're doing all the same things as Canadians. The only thing we're asking for is we want to have respect for Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. If nobody else wants to talk about it, climate change is a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> and we have been given teachings for generation after generation since time immemorial that tell us how to look after Mother Earth. I don't know if anybody else noticed the sky is bluer, the trees are greener when we had COVID because there were no planes in the sky and half of us weren't driving anywhere. Yep. So you see like even bunnies everywhere. (laughs) The amount of wildlife we wouldn't normally change. (laughs) Like I can't believe the bunnies just on the street and the parks. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many bunnies. And then I heard that's, I don't even know. But then, you know, someone was like, oh, it's because of this other animal and then this and this. And I'm like, wow, there's, anyways, there's more animals. It's amazing. Well, and that gets back to the whole interconnectedness that uh, Indigenous people talk about, right? Everything's interconnected. So when you hear the phrase, all, all my relations, all in creation, what we're talking about is everything is your brother and sister. Go talk to that tree. It is your brother and sister. Go mm-hmm. look at the plants and make sure that they're happy and healthy because you know what? They allow the insects to be there and the insects are what keep us alive. Mm-hmm. So from the smallest little bug to the biggest animal, um, we need them all in our life cycle or we don't survive. You know, if humans vanished, Knowledge Keeper uh, Clay Shirt works with us and he always says this, if humans vanish tomorrow, Mother Earth would just keep on. Yeah. yeah but yeah, if, yeah. if anything in creation leaves, so if we lose honeybees, for example, or we lose um, water supplies, yeah, we're done for. That's yeah. it. There's no plan B. There's no. We need Mother away. Nature, not the not the reverse. We we we're the ones who need Mother Nature. Mother Nature's better without us you know? <laughs> <So funny. laughs> and I just keep thinking like uh, that's a whole other project that I'm working on is how do we start bringing back traditional building structures because the other thing wow. I think that happens is people don't see indigenous people in say Toronto or in large c- cities so they think it's okay to discriminate against us and to stigmatize us right or um, they hear about like Colton Bushy's case where he mm-hmm. and four others were on a white man's land and he got shot in the back of the head. You know, that's not, that was racial justice in my opinion. And he got off in court instead of being charged with uh, or convicted of murder. And I'm not saying that every time it's right. I'm just saying that there's so many times when indigenous people in this country have been put aside, violated, neglected, uh, murdered, abused, by non-Indigenous people, and we don't talk about it. It doesn't really hit the media the same way as any other group. Even right now, I'm noticing that nobody's talking about the fact that we had four deaths in a month during COVID by police on Indigenous people in Canada. Yes, yes. Nobody's talking about that. That's huge. Um, The fact that we had doctors and nurses in BC who were also you know, like I said, uh, doing this gambling on how much the blood uh, alcohol content, like we don't need this. This is 2020, as you said, there is no reason whatsoever that we need to do these things. I think that's so, it's so important. And I think, you know, I was talking to somebody else. I can't remember on the podcast, one of the brilliant podcast guests was saying, we always focus the attention on the person who 
is experiencing the discrimination. Yes. And don't flip the mirror and look at, well, who's, there's, there is somebody doing that discriminating, you know? That's and right. It, yes, it's the police, but it, they do it because we, we're not collectively having an, an uprising yes. against that, or it's the <laughs> health profession because we allow that where, you know, yeah. I mean, if we can change the name of a football team, we can surely come together to challenge the way that indigenous people are treated by police, by healthcare, you know, if we collectively cared about it, you know? And it's about, it gets back to that, the three P's, right? You have the power in your everyday life. You don't need to be the prime minister to have power. Having power just means you're making choices in your life to not do those things, right? That's power. Then privilege, you have the privilege of going outside your home as a non-BIPOC person, so Black, Indigenous, or a person of color, and you know that you're going to safely arrive where you're going and safely get home. You don't have to worry about the police coming after you. You don't have to worry about the way you look getting you beaten up. So I, I also think about homophobia and transphobia, right? Just being outside the house can be dangerous for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't think about those things when you have privilege. That's what we need to be talking about. And then your position in life, wherever you are, you have positions, you know, whether you're, you're just talking about being a parent, um, you're just talking about being a worker, I I don't care if you're a waitress, or you're the prime minister, you have a position in which you can seek to make change. Mm -hmm. And I can't, you know, and the other thing that I often teach with the three P's is acknowledging the land. So we talked a little bit about this, but acknowledge the land you're on. That also gets us towards anti-Indigenous racism, right? Because this is this whole idea that, oh, well, they are stewards. We don't have to deal with it. You, as an individual, wherever you are in the world, you need to think about how you came to be on this land, where your homelands are, how you interact with your homelands, wherever it is, even if it's like 10 generations back, I don't care. Think about where you came from. What were the traditions? What what do you know about your own homelands? Have you ever stepped foot on them? Have you even thought about that land and how it's being used? Then think about the land that you work, you live, and you play on. So every time you hear that land acknowledgement, yeah. do that. This, this is, is cultural safety. Oh, okay. I feel like this needs to be part one. Would you come back? Would you come back on another podcast in the future? Sure. Because I feel like I feel like. We're just getting a little bit <laughs> into this really exciting connections. So I'm going to, you know, listeners, yeah, definitely. you heard it here. Dr. Angela Master Pringle said she might come back for a second round to go deeper. I know um, I, I'm so grateful you came and really opened up this whole other world for us to think about, which is links with land, links with, you know, so many things that you've just talked about, especially the three Ps. Um, but before we leave, yes, there's wild cards. <laughs> First wild card is, what are you watching on Netflix right now? Oh, gosh. I haven't actually been watching Netflix. I went <laughs> back <good>. to it. <laughs> I, I, well, first of all, I'm too busy, but I have been watching Ballers on HBO Crave. Is, is that about basketball players? It's about football players with oh. The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, we don't have HBO, so I don't, I'm like, oh. Ballers. It's football players with The Rock? 
Yeah, The Rock is in it. He stars in it. The Rock. Yeah. So oh. it's like because I, I finished everything on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that. I've done Netflix. It's finished. Yeah, I've kind of like gone through everything, and uh, I started so the Umbrella Academy. See, I haven't done that, but I did. I unfortunately did like the Tiger King. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do the Tiger King. Yeah, the Umbrella and, Academy and, and, seems fun, but Ballers yeah. is more fun because The Rock is ridiculously awesome. Oh, he is fantastic. And then I did, I, I've done all of Dynasty. I'm like caught up on Dynasty and, you know, I've done all of the shows, right? So like, and I watched Breaking Bad years ago and Sons of Anarchy years ago. So like, there's not really a lot of new content and I had, Grace and Frankie is done. We're sitting in hiatus. 13 Reasons Why is done. So, you know. Okay. Like- if you get to Umbrella Academy, let me know. Because we we were also done everything. We're like, we did Chits Creek. We did yeah. Queer Eye. We did the Canadian <laughs> Baking Show. So I was like, the Umbrella Academy. I mean, it's kind of like Marvel X-Men-ish. And then we really oh, okay. like it. It's really good. Okay. You should check out, uh, if you can, check out Ballers. It's actually quite funny. If it comes to Netflix, I'll check it out. Okay. My <laughs> last question before I let you go today, because I know we're at time is, is there any piece of wisdom or advice that has been meaningful to you that you'd like to share with the listeners? That's a very difficult one, but I think the, the best piece of advice is self-care. Hmm. Depending where you are in your life, you're probably like, I don't have time for that, but you need to make time. It is one of the most critical things in your life that if you don't make that time, time never comes back. So you really, really need to slow down. Take the time to smell the roses. I know that sounds so cliche. No, but they smell so good these days. There's a lot of really nice smelling flowers. Yeah, and and you need to spend time with the people you love. What you know, even if you think you're bugging them, it's probably best because in these times we and right now is very uncertain. So I think it's really great when you can spend some really quality time with somebody that may be watching a movie. It may be just joking around. It may be playing a board game. I don't know, whatever it is you like to do with that person, but do it and use that as self-care because you know what? Times are hard and it's not going to get any easier unless you get easy on yourself. Thank you so much. I just want to thank you so much for coming on as a guest. I feel like there's so much more I want to talk to you about, (laughs) but you really gave us so much insight into new perspectives on, maybe not new perspectives, but, but other perspectives like cultural safety and what that has to do with stigma and discrimination. Like thank you so much for coming on as a guest today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Everybody Hates Me. Let's Talk About Stigma, a podcast hosted by Dr. Carmen Logie. Join us next week for more inspiring and motivating conversations with stigma leaders from around the world. If you want to listen, what I have to tell you? If you want to listen,